Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to our webinar. Thank you for taking the time to join us today. I'm going to keep the formality short so we can get down to business and maximize the time available uh, for Q&A. We are pleased to have BASF and Northern with us today to share some very inter interesting and important insights into the Autocatalyst and PGM markets. I'd like to briefly introduce the speakers. Uh, Paul Dunn and Leon van Skalkwijk from, from Northern are well known to most of us. And from BASF, we are joined by Matthias Dorn, SVP Precious and Base Metal Services, Scott Mishrahi, dealer and supply chain for PGMs, Paul Michello, head of supply chain and procurement PGMs, Paul Houston, global development manager, and in Brett Mantone, strategic planning manager. Gentlemen, apologies if I mispronounced your surnames. Uh, there's a link in the invite with the bios of all the speakers. This should also help you to tell apart the three polls that we have participating in the webinar today. Just briefly on the running order, um, we'll spend about 25 minutes with Matthias and his team, where they will give us an overview of the demand dynamics. After that, Paul will spend about 10 minutes to talk about some of the supply side dynamics and other key trends. We will then move to Q&A, where all the presenters, including Paul and Leon from Northam, will be available to answer questions. You can submit your questions during the webinar using the little tab on your screen. But before we start, I'd just like to draw your attention to disclaimer on the, on the screen. Basically, all it says is that I'm a public side analyst and that anything that is discussed here today is based on public information. Now, on to what we are here for. After a very turbulent year, we're looking for some direction as to what to expect from the PGM market over the next couple of years and what, what key trends and factors we need to watch out for. So who better to give us this insight than the representatives of BASF, one of the world's leading role players in the auto catalyst, automotive and PGM markets. So without further ado, Matthias, over to you and your team. Thank you, Arnold, and thank you for um, for having us. It's always a pleasure. I would, of course, like to be uh, down in Cape Town uh, because this is normally always nicer than sitting here um, in a snowstorm in New Jersey. Uh, but luckily, the electricity stayed and the Wi-Fi goes. So um, then let's dive into the topic. What do we bring um, with uh, today? Um, a quick overview of um, where um, are we actually within the BSF um, um, yeah, within the BSF conglomerate, um, then the last dance uh, with the ICEs, um, because we see, of course, that midterm, the ICEs in certain parts of the world uh, will have their last dance. And then, of course, the rise um, of um, electric vehicles. Just to give an overview, where are we actually um, as um, the catalyst division? So BSF um, is as a so-called Verbund. Um, this is um, that upstream um, and downstream chemical plants um, are connected via pipes. So the heat of one plant um, is um, the energy um, for the next plant, so highly efficient. Um, and we are, um, and then you have the chemicals, materials with petrochemicals, uh, big crackers, materials, performance materials, monomers for mattresses, uh, um, car industry, industrial solution, um, where you have um, um, a lot of um, mining chemicals, for example, in but also dispersion and pigments. Then you have surface technologies with coatings. Um, so we have one of the leading coating companies, um, but also catalysts, so the automotive catalysts and the batteries, then nutrition and care, agricultural solutions, and um, a bit of a part of other, um, which is um, the trading business 
on the, petro on, on the petrochemical side. So we are currently then in surface technologies uh, where the catalysts are in. Um, if, you, if you look into that, um, what do we do? Uh, we have, of course, um, raw materials on the left-hand side, um, spent auto catalyst, um, spent chemical catalyst. Um, they are then recycled. So the so-called PGM, Platinum Group Metal Recycling Business, which we also have. Then um, the recycled PGMs uh, um, um, are taken um, with, of course, mine supply. Um, then we make a solution out of those uh, a precious metal chemical solution um, um, with platinum, palladium, rhodium, ruthenium, iridium. And this then goes um, into mobile emission catalysts. Uh, so you take this precious metal um, um, chemical solution, add uh, um, secret ingredients. Um, then um, you get um, a substrate, which is nothing else than a ceramic cube with very, very fine holes. And then the art is um, to, um, let's say, take this substrate, uh, put it into solution, blow it out, let it dry, calcinate it, and then um, it comes into the emission exhaust. Um, chemical catalyst production, um, right the same. So um, if you look into the chemical industry, specifically um, pharma, um, fine chemicals, agrochemicals, there, of course, you have um, a lot of PGMs going into, into the production of goods. Um, so as a, as, as a catalyst um, and on the immobile emission catalyst, it goes to the Kenner um, and then to the OEM. What are we? We are the leading PGM trading house. Uh, we have, um, of course, deep industry insights. Uh, um, not only you are talking to Paul and Leon, we are also talking uninterruptedly to Paul and Leon because they are one of our su suppliers, main suppliers in the industry. We have, um, of course, a huge research um, department spending um, um, a lot of money on, um, on how we um, get the latest technology, the latest developments. Um, and we are, um, in the meantime, globally a leader ourselves in um, PGM automotive catalyst recycling. So we have also very deep insights um, into the recycling market, into the flows um, of in the, within the recycling market, and also um, about the volumes which are actually coming out there. The team you are seeing here um, on the call is actually the team um, which has this frame on. So um, BASF Precious and Base Metal Services this is, um, um, this is the whole team you have here today um, on the call. If you look into um, what drives the demand of PGMs, um, then it's regulation. So tighter emission regulations um, can only be achieved um, with um, having, in, having a metal solution um, or, or leaving um, that substrate longer in the metal solution or have a metal solution less diluted to get more um, more, um, more, more uh, PGM parts on the substrate. Yeah, so when you have um, tighter um, regulations, for example, in China, and this is, um, from my perspective, currently the major driver for, um, for, for the high metal prices, um, you saw that uh, with the tightening regulation, you needed much, much higher loadings um, than, than before. China has, um, in the meantime, the tightest emission regulations um, globally. It was a mix of um, Euro 6 and the Californian regulation. So therefore, um, that drives more or less than the, um, the metal demand. So it's, so it's all about regulation. And um, as we all know, climate change um, emission regulation becomes more and more important. And there, of course, the PGM play the crucial role to, um, to enable cleaner or clean mobility. If you look at the um, conventional um, engine setup, then um, you need a platinum, palladium, rhodium. 
Rhodium is for NOx control, um, majorly focusing um, or regulation-wise very much in the US, but also now in China. So therefore, um, you will you you saw a big jump in rhodium demand uh, due to the tightening regulation in China. Um, you see platinum um, historically for diesel, and palladium for um, for petrol engines. Um, this are um, this was more or less the past. Not talking about substitution um, with um, with those big price differences. For us, uh, the, the best engine concept is the hybrid. Yeah, because um, um, you have um, um, an ICE. And, um, and an electric motor. So consequently, you have um, a catalyst uh, which we produce and you have also a battery requirements uh, where we produce a cathode active material and therefore you need uh, lithium, nickel, cobalt and manganese. Then the battery is full, fully um, BEV or fully EV electric vehicle comes. So only an electric motor and there you would have then of course lithium, nickel, cobalt and manganese. And then what we see now um, really taking off uh, when I joined uh, three and a half, four, four years ago, got this job. I wasn't sure whether the fuel cell really comes in the meantime we are. So if you look into um, what has happened globally, then you saw that um, China is really leading on the battery side. Um, I think they've put a lot of um, subsidies, money into, um, into the battery to build up the battery industry and become a leader. Um, the Europeans and also the Americans have been late to the game. I think are now trying to catch up um, with the fuel cells. Um, what you see is that Europe and also North America don't want to let it happen. So um, you see now massive uh, um, subsidies uh, getting ready to um, to foster companies um, um, to make fuel cell developments. And there, of course, you need um, platinum, ruthenium, and iridium for the electrolyzer and for the fuel cell catalyst. So um, then if we if we look at all of that is of course a certain time frame to it. And um, if you look at the um, internal combustion engine, I think COVID hasn't really helped because if you look at the COVID um, COVID uh, um, sub or COVID economical stimuluses, um, specifically in Europe, um, you have seen that uh, that there are a lot of subsidies out for um, hybrid and um, also for batteries. So currently the subsidies um, on buying um, um, a hybrid or um, a battery car are pretty high. Just to give an example, normally um, in Germany, you um, tax 1% uh, um, of the value of the car. So if you have um, a car for 100,000 euros, 1% is 1,000 euros. Um, tax rate is uh, 50%. Uh, um, um, and then you pay uh, more or less 500 euros every month for your car. Um, if you um, buy a, a hybrid or a battery, a fully fully electrified vehicle, then um, it will be only 250. Yeah, so you have um, everywhere in the whole industry, um, and specifically in Europe, um, a, a lot of subsidies driving the change to hybrids and um, and fully electric vehicles. Fuel cells, I think there are a few um, um, few years still um, still away. I think. Um, what becomes more and more clear is uh, that you need hydrogen, of course, to run then those cars and enable the mobility. Um, if you look at the, for, for example, very interesting, if you look at the pipelines uh, in Germany, the gas pipelines and in Europe, you can actually also uh, get uh, put hydrogen into those pipelines. 
Um, so distribution should be fine. So there are a lot of things which are now coming, are developed and 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 are looked into. So um, I think the fuel cells uh, will be very, or the fuel cell hydrogen economy will be very important um, for the decarbonization of the steel industry, um, of the chemical industry. So the highly energy intensive industries, um, the only chance to decarbonize is um, via hydrogen. Um, this is what I what I said uh, before already. So um, if you look into 2020, and China came out of um, the COVID crisis, I think stronger than ever. Um, I think this is known to everybody. Every other place uh, of, of the globe has struggled more. Um, the total vehicle sales um, are, of course, uh, um, skyrocketing high uh, in comparison to other parts um, of the of the world. And um, this is driving, of course, then. Um, the um, uh, PGM demand. If you look into um, the vehicle sales we foresee uh, by 2025, we foresee uh, 30 million vehicles, internal combustion engine, uh, 20.6 million vehicles, uh, minus 3% versus 2020. Hybrid and BEV are clearly um, on, on the way up. Hybrid, of course, as I said, still using PGMs. So um, even if you lose the 3% against 2020, you will still um, have, of course, growth um, then, then on the hybrid side, because they also need a catalyst, and then uh, BEV, so fully electrified vehicles. Um, there, of course, we would then um, lose uh, the, the demand. Poli uh, policies and, and and tighter regulations will, of course, always um, um, help now to drive demand. I think also in more rural areas, you will see more and more uh, um, um, cars being now um, according to the latest standards. So you started from the coastal region to improve. And the air quality and are now going more um, inside of the country. You see tighter regulations, of course, also for heavy duty, so for trucks, uh, building machines, etc. Um, the unknown again is, is, is of course, a chip shortage uh, which we currently face in the market. So there, um, it's to be seen uh, um, how this pans out. Um, I think very, very important because normally what we would see is that you see, uh, that, that you have seen the peak of the combustion engine you might have seen already in 2017, 2018. It's of course uh, something something interesting because you see of course more hybrids um, and you see more BEVs, but overall I think the highest number of, um, of um, combustion um, engine cars have been um, sold potentially in 2018, 2017. I think Brett, uh, Brett knows this precisely. Um, if you if you look then into um, the catalyst units, so how many catalysts uh, you need in a car, then this very much depends um, on regulation. Yeah, so um, you might uh, have with tighter regulation, for example, in India, we saw a massive uptick in, um, in, in, in trucks, and they are, of course, also on then higher platinum loadings. And this is here the same. So with tighter regulation, you will see more catalyst uh, needed in, in an exhaust system. And with more catalyst in an exhaust system, you need more, more consequently more PGMs. And this tighter regulation will, of course, also then drive um, the PGM demand, even though you don't see uh, um, the absolute number of um, internal combustion engine cars really going up. I just brought you on the right hand side of the slide some um, overview of what's, um, what's happening um, in the future on tighter regulation um, um, on mobile emission. Of course, big topic for um, for South Africa, platinum substitution in light duty gasoline. Um, so, of course, if you have a spread between the two metals of 1,000, uh, 200, 1,300 US dollar per ounce, then, um, of course, everybody is trying uh, to substitute platinum with palladium. 
And um, I think uh, you can see now the first um, successes of this endeavor. And um, this actually looks pretty, pretty promising. And a lot of companies are currently driving for, um, for substituting palladium with platinum. We would rather um, go for some case of um, base case uh, to high case um, from our pers perspective. We have, of course, not a lot of insights into the other um, catalyst producers, but we understand that everybody is on that um, path to 20 to 30% um, substitution. I have to hurry up, I have seven minutes left. Platinum market overview. So um, um, overall, it becomes short or shorter from um, demand and supply. Um, please be aware that we don't show or, or our forecast um, on platinum is normally always based on the assumption that um, we that we um, do not regard any um, above ground stock holdings. Yeah, so, um, so also if you look into um, hedge funds, uh, ETF holdings, etc., this would be out here. Uh, um, we, we really look into supply and demand, and there um, we see a deficit starting in 2023. Um, reasoning being, of course, um, that uh, um, the mining or, or there were not a lot of new mines really sank, um, plus, uh, um, of course, um, then the substitution. So more a higher demand for for um, for platinum. Palladium, we've seen a deficit. Um, then, um, of course, um, um, the substitution kicks in, uh, plus uh, um, additional um, mining uh, um, mining projects, specifically from non-nickel, uh, um, and, and therefore we would expect there um, to have a surplus in 2030, um, but still in a deficit um, until the mid 2020s. Now, the big one comes rhodium. Um, so, um, rhodium market not so liquid. Uh, is of course uh, mainly a market uh, where supplier um, where you don't have a lot of speculation in. We see big, 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 big deficits there. Um, so we don't believe that um, the rhodium uh, shortage is already over now um, with um, the high demand and with prices levels at around uh, 2021, 22,000. Um, it's very, very difficult to, um, to get the material. Um, so overall, um, and it's not a lot of money for an OEM. So if you look at a car, BMW 7 Series, uh, big engine, um, you're talking about 250, 300 euro. Um, if it's now 600 euro, wouldn't you buy the Beamer? No, you would. So therefore, um, I think it's really um, a more a question um, of, um, of availability and what can be done. So, <clears throat> so therefore, I think um, this, is, this is expected to be um, tight in the foreseeable future. What can we do about it? I think it's um, it's chemical companies uh, where you have rhodium in catalyst. Uh, this will potentially disappear. You will have, um, um, I think, mines being kept open only due to rhodium um, in South Africa, uh, um, because otherwise we really have a supply uh, um, crisis, or we have already a supply crisis, but then it becomes even more severe. The big topic is, of course, there also substitution can be somehow substituted. There is this kind of um, um, <clears throat> approach to say, okay, you can substitute um, rhodium with um, six, seven times uh, palladium, um, but this is to be seen and, of course, to be looked into. And um, this is where, from my perspective, a lot of um, companies are now seeing um, that those deficits too. And, and then, of course, the question is, what what do we do about it? And um, we believe that um, there is research ongoing um, with respect to how can you partially um, partially replace 
a rhodium with another metal. But um, as I always said, um, also with the substitution before, it will take years. So now the rise of electric vehicles, <coughs> to give you a bit of a glimpse, um, unforeseeable future. So if you look at the growth um, um, up to 2030, um, there is a between the different uh, um, Woodmac, Bernstein, Benchmark, LMCA, BNEF, uh, um, you have different assumptions and um, and the difference is uh, is bigger than 20 million vehicles. So the uncertainty there is pretty high. Um, nickel and cobalt demand is, of course, they're also um, extremely high depending on the chemistry. Uh, nickel and cobalt sulfate uh, is, of course, then tight. You need nickel class one. Uh, um, and and uh, this is a lot of cars. I think if you look into um, specifically Europe, the, the acceptance of the customers with a BEV, so fully no BEVs and uh, and hybrids is is actually increasing uh, at light speed. So we believe that you will see um, potentially. I think our own forecast is now at 28 million cars by 2030. The issue is that um, you will not have the nickel available, and you can see the first movement there: nickel coming from 11,000, 10,000, now up to um, 18, 19,000. Um, so um, nickel will be tight, uh, specifically tight in 2025, 2026 from our perspective. Yeah, and I, I think what's also important is, of course, the chemistry mix. So um, we all started with an NCM 111, so one nickel, one cobalt, uh, one um, manganese, um, then six to two, six nickel, um, two cobalt, uh, two manganese. Now we are at um, NCM 811, um, eight times nickel, one time cobalt, one time manganese. So, so those kind of development you will um, you will see, of course, with the, the and um, the higher the nickel, the higher the energy energy density of the battery, and the longer you can drive. So, therefore, um, most of um, Tesla, um, etc., has um, NCA uh, with um, with um, around um, 80 to 90 percent nickel already. Um, so, therefore, you see a clear tendency to higher um, higher energy density, higher loadings, um, wider range, um, and this is. Um, all high nickel. As we said, so um, forecast deficit 2026, uh, you see it here marked uh, in black and white stripes. So the forecasted deficit will start from our perspective in 2026. Um, you have, of course, uh, nickel class one, nickel class two. Um, you have seen in nickel um, with the nickel pig iron industry and Jingshan in um, Southeast Asia, um, in the Philippines, uh, but also in, in, in Indonesia. The steel industry um, was uh, taking nickel class two, um, the, the uh, revolution more or less. Um, if you look at the cost curve, most of the high cost uh, mining um, assets are all gone uh, due to the um, price pressure via nickel class two going into stainless steel. So therefore, um, you have the big guys still in the market, but um, they are more or less there. the borderline for um, for for nickel we see at um, 18 to 20,000 um, US dollars sustainably before they would um, develop a new mine. And um, we have now seen it for, I think, two, three months. So it's to be seen when um, they really start uh, to develop new mines. Um, and I think they do not trust really um, the development with electrification of, um, of, of vehicles. Kuwait comes out of Congo, as everybody knows, we see there 2028. Um, is of course relatively elastic because um, cobalt is um, main country is is uh, Congo and there um, if the price is high enough everybody takes a spade and starts digging 
So um, the elasticity of the price is there, of course, higher um, than with nickel. And this cobalt will always find its way into China um, to, to put a relief um, on the market. So summary, um, evolution of the, of the powertrain. I think the last dance uh, um, is, a, is still, uh, still a few years or a decade minimum away. Uh, um, you will see that, um, that tightening emission regulations in lower CO2 footprint will drive um, um, the PGM demand. And you have, of course, a strong momentum for, for BEVs and hybrids. Um, precious and base metals, um, are, I think, are key for achieving uh, a sustainable or more sustainable um, um, automotive industry mobility. Uh, um, Electromobility creates, of course, opportunities for BSF um, on, um, on, on CAM, uh, on cathode active material. Um, um, but at the same time, um, the catalysts uh, are also uh, running uh, certainly for, for, a long, for a long time. Um, and then if you look at um, clean mobility overall, I think we are very well positioned as a company. Discussion points, I think, Paul, we can discuss it later. If we don't have any questions, which I doubt, um, um, are we in a, uh, or where are we in the PGM supercycle? Because with the tightening regulation, um, high, high prices, uh, we believe that this cycle will, um, will carry on. Um, will PGM substitution auto catalyst rebalance the market? Um, I think it will take some time. And is there enough uh, nickel class one for, um, to fuel the growth um, in BEVs? With that, Arnold, back to you. Thank you. Matthias, thank you very much. So yeah, you talk about the last dance. So yeah, it seems it's like the last dance, but certainly not the last round. Um, based on what you've told us, there's going to be growing PGM demand over the next few years. And that's good news for Northern and the other producers. So Paul, uh, could you please share some of your thoughts on the PGM market, particularly the supply side, and how Northern is positioned to deliver into that and to deliver value from that for all the stakeholders. So over to you, Paul. Uh, first of all, no, uh, thanks very much, everybody, and thanks, uh, thanks for inviting us. I'd like to con contextualize some brief comments, uh, broad themes on supply in the light of um, what may uh, take place over the next 10 years uh, in the first instance. Um, uh, allowing for development of the drivetrains, we still see PGM, cumulative, uh, PGM annual demand in total somewhere around the 16 million ounce mark by 2030. And to contextualize that, a normalized year today would have been about 13 million ounces of demand from automotive uh, for the three main metals, platinum, palladium, and rhodium, of course. So uh, allowing for substantial BV penetration, we still see substantial growth in PGM demand across the next decade. Um, when we look at the supply dynamic, um, it, it does uh, present some difficulties, and I'm particularly going to refer to the South African supply arena, which affects um, uh, platinum, rhodium, ruthenium, and iridium, uh, not necessarily as much palladium, because, of course, that's dominated by other regions of the world. Uh, but broadly speaking, uh, the last decade, uh, the downturn that we've experienced as a sector has been quite damaging to the ability of the asset base to produce into the future. We are effectively undercapitalized and underdeveloped as a sector. And you can see the, the trends, uh, you know, quite clearly now, and, and they will continue forward. The five main traditional mining lease areas are under substantial pressure 
in terms of their ability to produce. Uh, very, very recently, we saw the youngest of those uh, mining lease areas, uh, you know, surprisingly to some, not necessarily to ourselves, uh, showing uh, quite a hefty decline in output uh, despite the higher prices. So we still see uh, a gradual depletion profile out of the bushveld in SA. And as I say, it's a reflection of undercapitalization over many years now, underdevelopment and somewhat underspent. It's not easy to turn, turn that around. Um, nothing happens particularly quickly in mining. We all know that it's a long, a long endeavor, capital intensive, and uh, quite often the elements of time and capital requirements are underestimated by both the investment community and uh, I must say sometimes ourselves. Uh, you know, mining, mining is, is, is not quick. So to turn this, uh, this around is not so easy. Uh, we personally as Northern do not foresee any easy supply response here from South Africa, unfortunately. Even though there are ounces in the ground, in essence, if we wanted to produce those ounces by 2025, as an example, we should have already been busy. And uh, I think the investment community will know there's not that much uh, in, in, in growth uh, activity uh, taking place across the sector. Uh, just a word on, on, the, on the cost of production. Uh, every mine manager in South Africa is, 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 is uh, fundamentally focused on cost of production. It's a core, uh, core element of what we do. Um, we do continually endeavor to keep costs down. However, I do see some catch-up happening in the industry to correct that element of underdevelopment and undercapitalization, uh, and that will not necessarily lead to cheaper production. Uh, uh, I would uh, put a number to that. Seven to eight uh, percent annual inflation is quite difficult to get away from in our context in terms of cost of production. So broadly speaking, uh, it's not easy. Uh, from a greenfields point of view, uh, we do have opportunity in the northern limb in SA, uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a heavy sulfide ore body and does require substantial surface processing uh, production capacity, and that does not necessarily exist, and in, uh, in some cases will have to be built. Again, the capital associated with that is, is not cheap. I did want to make a, 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 a point about where do we see differentiation I, uh, across the South African production segment. I do think shallow mechanized ore bodies are a very substantial differentiator uh, from many of the ESG elements, and uh, you know, in particularly uh, also from the cost, from a cost point of view. Northern we favor shallow mechanized or semi-mechanized production. And we would favor from here, we would favor platinum and rhodium dominated ore bodies, and we also like nickel. Thanks very much, Arnold. I've been brief. I'll pass it back to you to allow for questions. Yeah, Paul, thank you very much. Uh, there's certainly no such thing as, as uh, easy answers, um, even with this you know, higher metal price. Um, ladies and gentlemen, so we'll now move to Q&A. I think let's kick off. There's there's been a few questions coming in um, around substitution, and and this is one that I've often seen from clients as well. So I'll take this one. It's from Nick Hops and Matthias. It's to you and your team. It says, why should an OEM substitute palladium for platinum if battery battery electric vehicles are going to reduce their palladium demand, and within five years 
the act of substitution pushes platinum into a deficit. So why substitute if you're basically just shifting the problem from one metal to the next? What's your, your thoughts on, on, on this, um, Matthias? Paul, you want to go? Sure, sure. I think to answer the question, Nick, and hello, Nick, sorry we're not down in Cape Town. Uh, but, but the question is, the OEMs basically are relying on the BASFs of the world to do the substitution. And this is sponsored by the mines. So I think you have to look at the history and the start of the journey for substitution, which back it was back in 2015 or 16, when palladium was $600 below platinum price. So it's really a case of BASF getting the proper sponsorship because all of our R&D projects are, are geared towards electric vehicles, as are the OEMs. So in the interest of supporting the South African mining industry and their prill split, we thought that was the, the, the way to go and a quick solution, quick meaning 18 months or so, and it took two more years to get the project off the ground. So it, it, the OEMs are just looking at the cost savings. Uh, so just look at the prices and you see a substantial cost savings and it can't be done on every platform. It's going to be a phased in approach. And I think eventually the question is, uh, well, how much more platinum is going to be used and what's the timeline? Because it's phased in and BSF looked at some of the bigger SUVs as a starting point and pickup trucks because we thought there'd be more bang for the buck, but certainly challenges there. Um, but let the get to the chase from what I think most of the audience wants is how much more platinum is going to be substituted. This year, I would say, and this does not include the palladium rich um, catalysts, uh, the diesel catalysts where substitution can be done. So we expect uh, a total of 150,000 ounces this year and it gets phased in next year and more interest from different OEMs who are looking to save some money. It's 250,000 ounces next year about five and a half, um, uh, half a million ounces or so, 2023, and almost a million ounces in 2024. Those are in Brett's numbers. So you, then you have to look at what type of penetration you have, Nick. So from an OEM's point of view, they just want a cheaper catalyst, okay? And I think that begs the question of um, PGM optimization, which I'm certain Paul and Leon are, are uh, interested in because of the rhodium price. I mean, at some point, the rhodium price be makes it unsustainable. Right now, it's still price inelastic, but it's coming closer to the radar, to the crosshairs, I should say, on the OEM um, OEM uh, uh, production lines. Does that cover it? I think I did. Yeah, yeah, it does. Paul, thank you for that. I mean, you, you, you finished off with rhodium, and, and I want to move on to a next question, which deals with that. So yes, substitution's got to do with the cost saving that you realize from that. But in the case of rhodium, it's not about the cost saving. It's about not being able to source the metal. And Matthias, you talked about that. There's a there's a growing deficit. And you know the way I look at it, you know, there's there's a serious problem. So how do we how do we deal with that? Um, doesn't that naturally imply we either substitute rhodium or people just move away from it? And one of the alternatives is if you don't substitute it moving away from it means you might have to move to battery electric vehicles sooner. Maybe that's part of the solution. So can you share some comments around the rhodium substitution side and how we deal with that growing deficit? Thanks. Matthias, you want to take it or you want me to take this? 
<laughs> you you I, can take it, Paul. You you look so marvelous today. Take it. And I, well, I read an article. I read an article on how to improve my e charisma. It's smile and nod a lot. Okay, because I'm much better in person. I think anyway. Uh, you can throw things at me anyway. So the way I see this, and the question, the answer to this question is uh, different from last year. And I'm thankful I'm not next to Matthias because he might put a mute or muzzle on me here. But the way I see it is the OEMs have to right size their portfolio. So there are certain OEMs that have different, they, they all have different procurement patterns. So if there's 20 large OEMs in the world, some hedge, so they buy their future production now, which we think is a smart thing. Others buy hand to mouth. So the ones buying hand to mouth are at risk. So we are heightening our conversation with the OEMs. And this also comes for palladium because the sponge ingot differential, OEMs need palladium sponge. It's not always available, it's too expensive to finance. Rhodium might not be available. So we're putting that message on the plate to OEMs and right-sizing the portfolio means, okay, we have 20, 30 different models, which is, is, doesn't seem very efficient. Um, we're going to take our most profitable models and we'll try to get rhodium to secure for those, for those models, okay? I think next year you can substitute chip for rhodium because of the automotive company's procurement pattern. I mean, it's a hand-to-mouth policy. They want, they don't want, they don't think it's efficient to finance inventories. So if you can't get the inventory, you better start putting that on your radar. And we've done our best to 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 bring this to the height, the highest levels. And it's a question of of the auto companies responding or not. Um, other ways. There's rhodium lying on some shelves. I don't think there's a high degree of safety stocks being held by the OEMs. Uh, however, there's a lot of rhodium small bars. Uh, there's rhodium in chemical catalysts. I mean, a, a chemical plant can shut down and sell their rhodium if rhodium was $50,000. So it does tend to leak in, but I don't think that's enough to solve the deficit. So the only answer here is to right-size the portfolios. I don't know if you can move to EV, although you, by reading the headlines, you'd think you can get a, an electric vehicle. I just don't know if there's enough infrastructure and raw materials in place to, to um, supply the EV market and, or accelerate the movement. And then I think the other question, uh, the way to answer this question is PGM optimization in the catalyst. And Matthias alluded to that, it's being worked on. It does take 18 months. So I think the question here is what bridges that gap in the next 18 months? And recycle, uh, again, the volumes are growing, uh, more, than, more than expected, by the way. Uh, but there is limitations to that, not so much from the smelting point of view, but from the actual uh, uh, wet chemistry uh, from the, the, the final end refining. Yeah, I think just to add on that, um, I think nickel will be also short. Yeah, so <clears throat> I think you have then rhodium short, nickel short. So, um, so as I as I said before, I think um, what you will see, you will see a limit um, on the on the on the EV side, and and it comes becomes less and less, um, or becomes more and more unprofitable for the OEMs uh, um, because of, with the nickel price of uh, 20, 22, 23, 24,000 um, US dollar per ton of nickel. Um, um, you, it's a loss maker, the car. <clears throat> yeah. So therefore, I think the OEMs, what they will learn is to balance their portfolio based on the availability um, of, um, of of the metals and the cost. 
and and this is I think what you will see specifically in 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 2024, 25, 26. But um, but it's for me um, and Paul and I are always debating it. Um, it's for me the first inging of the super cycle in PGMs. Uh, Paul is a bit more or the second. Uh, no, 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 no. It's 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 the first. And um, and I think you 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 see an underinvested mining industry in South Africa was just not worth investing. And now um, with the with the um, with the economy, with um, the investment climate, um, with the uncertainty, um, when is uh, BEVs uh, or EVs when when are they really kicking in? Um, then puts puts another strain. Then when are fuel cells kicking in? Uh, um, um, how do you time that? I think this would be a masterpiece for someone leading a mine um, to to have this dip, and then um, when when the fuel cells are taking off, that you are right in time there to supply. Uh, and that's of course key. And I think this is in all um, CEOs' minds currently to say, okay, how do I manage through that dip and um, not fall into the trap of uh, producing everything what we have? Uh, um, that that I think will be will be crucial. Nor nickel. On the palladium side, uh, um, of course, they have a nickel-rich ore body. That means uh, they will produce nickel like hell. Uh, um, um, they they expand that, and with that nickel comes palladium. So therefore, um, I think due to EV, uh, um, a higher nickel class one demand, uh, they, they will expand, and then you will see more palladium coming um, into the market. Uh, but I think you will not see the same for, for platinum. Uh, um, so therefore, you have mine depletion in South Africa. Um, and I think you will see the OEMs managing the drivetrain mix much, much more active than you see it today. Thank you, gentlemen. So, yeah, so we, we talked a lot about the OEMs in as part of the solution of, of solving this. But, you know, one of the questions, and, and it goes to the same topic, is, you know, a lot of the mining companies, and Paul, you talked about that, um, it's not easy, and then the, the industry is undercapitalized, and then there's a lot of capital that needs to go in. But the industry at this stage seems very focused on returning dividends to shareholders. So the question is: Is it not irresponsible? Should the industry not, at some stage, you know, strike a better balance and start investing in in new mines and new capacity? So, so that's the question to you, Paul. What do you what do you want to see to give you the comfort to do that? Then I also wanted to take the question to you, Matthias, and your team. If the mining companies are not going to do that, so they're not going to step in for whatever reason, be it that they focused on returns, they're not comfortable to risk in South Africa, would you then or the OEMs or the final consumers of this metal be willing to step in and almost subsidize this new supply? Because everyone wants the mining companies in South Africa to build new mines, but someone needs to pay for it. So do you think there's a likelihood that we will see some of the OEMs step in and say, okay, we'll put up, you know, let's call it $100 million for a mine to start the, the project running. So first, Paul, done, and then Matthias, you can address the second part of that question. Yeah, in, in many respects, Arnold, your question illustrates the difficulty in the long datedness of mining effort. You know, uh, there is no question we must provide a return to our shareholders. It's absolutely Otherwise, why, why would our shareholders invest in our companies? I mean, they must see a return uh, through dividend share buybacks or what, whatever mechanism uh, can be done. The, the industry has gone through a very, very difficult 10 years um, of correction and consolidation. And I, I do want to remind the audience, we've even lost two companies. You know, the, sec the sector is now very concentrated 
are really only six uh, significant producing companies across the world uh, heavily concentrated and we've lost two. So the downturn has been pretty extreme and there is a consequence to that and that is that the balance sheets have to be fixed and we're well on the way to, to that happening. Uh, I think shareholders then demand a return which is quite right and proper and all the companies will be doing that uh, very, very shortly. In fact, some have already begun. And uh, thirdly, I think the, the companies will then turn to what next? Um, uh, and I think uh, probably we're a year, year or two away from that, uh, to be honest, Arnold. I think the, we're still in the fixing of balance sheet mode and return value to shareholders. And, and beyond that, there has to be a balance. And, and sustainability, the most important issue surrounding sustainability for a mining company is the longevity of the ore body, conversion of resources into re reserves. And the point I continually make is that is happening to a very low degree at the moment, and it has to be stepped up if we are going to be able to continue to produce PGMs at the level that South Africa does into the next decade. So beyond the return to, to shareholders over the next year or two, and then continuing, we do have to look at capital allocation into uh, replenishing the ability to produce. So would um, would we invest uh, um, to kickstart a new mine with Northern? Um, I think difficult. <laughs> and for an OEM, it will be very difficult too, uh, because we are not a mining company. We don't have any expertise. Um, I think what you see in the industry are, of course, prepayments to secure supply. Um, and, and this you might see more and more. Um, but um, overall, I think um, that now an OEM like VW says, let's go uh, into South Africa and, and build a mine. No, they will say I have no expertise. I've, I can't differentiate. Um, this, this is not going, going to happen. Where you see it more um, is with Chinese OEMs. Uh, I'm now on the nickel side, um, H5 projects in Indonesia, so high pressure acid leaching plants. Um, you see the one or other, um, um, let's say LG, CATL, um, trying to, to secure nickel uh, um, with the upcoming shortage. There you see that they are um, co-investing, taking a share um, in, in such a development. But um, this is uh, like Paul would call it gardening. Uh, so it's... Uh, it's not a real mine. It's like uh, a big, big excavator uh, digging uh, something up. So, so I think there people feel more comfortable with uh, um, instead of having a two kilometer deep mine uh, where you um, already when you get into um, into the mine, um, this is this is um, scary for the one or other um, OEM manager. So therefore, I would say gardening you can do, mining mm, uh, they ra you rather leave your fingers from because it can cost your own career. So, so therefore, I think more prepayment security of supply, that would be something I think where you would get an OEM too. Thank you, Matthias. Um, so I want to shift briefly to some of the minor metals, uh, iridium and lithium. So you touched on some of that, and obviously that's a topic that comes up when we talk about fuel cells and hydrogen. So I guess the question is, do you see the possibility of, of these minor metals popping and becoming the next rhodium? Um, you know, because also fairly small market tight supply. So is, is that something that that we should watch for? Yeah, I said it. Uh, I think I said it last year or the year before. And um, I, I was actually with Paul in 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 the airplane lounge in, in Cape Town saying we should take a position in Iridium. 
because I believe in iridium and, um, and, and it will be difficult and hydrogen is coming and the green deal of the EU, the Chinese uh, um, um, decarbonization, hydrogen economy, that thing will come. And um, it came, unfortunately, still in last year, so it doesn't help us really this year. Um, so iridium um, came up from 1,200, 1,300. Current market price is 4,200, 4,500. So it, it already tripled. You see ruthenium, um, a lot of new applications uh, um, on the catalyst, on the chemical catalyst side, but also different um, applications uh, um, there developed, being 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 developed. Uh, ruthenium partially as um, as uh, as uh, as a substitution for rhodium. You also see in some applications. So therefore, um, um, if I would take, if I would buy in somewhere um, into something today, it would be ruthenium and um, iridium. I think bright future. So, so there might be the time, Paul, when you're running your mine only um, on the bimetals. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, if, uh, Northern Magellan will probably end up producing 10% of the world's iridium. Can you believe that? So it, it, we, we are very aware, aware of the minor metals, as we used to call them, but they are becoming quite significant, potentially a billion rand per annum of revenue for us uh, in, in the near future. Uh, iridium is a small market, about uh, just under a quarter of a million ounce market per annum. Uh, it would need to be for applications thrifted heavily, uh, but it will be, uh, we believe. Uh, traditionally, iridium has been used as uh, in a form called iridium black. And we, you know, you can think about it being painted on, which is a very efficient way of coating, inefficient way of coating, excuse me. But with the materials, guys, of course, they're in the nano the nano uh, phase at the moment, everything is very, very atomic in the way uh, these metals are applied. And iridium, iridium can certainly be thrifted, possibly even up to 15 times from where it is now. And it has a bright future in uh, electrolysis for, for sure. Um, uh, ruthenium, I agree, just begun to move now. Uh, we're seeing on, the, sorry to say this, not on the BSF print, but on the JM print, Paul, apologies on that, uh, the 320 quoted. Um, you know, it's come off the floor, so to speak. We actually produce more ruthenium than rhodium. So from a volume point of view, uh, ruthenium is suitable for applications because it's a much larger market. And uh, let's see what happens. And there, I think, very important in the fuel cell application. But, but just, just, Arnold, just, just to add on this, iridium. Um, if you have an electrolyzer and there are different technologies, but one technology is solely iridium and pretty high, and you have now those subsidies and you build an electrolyzer, those quarter of a million ounces are gone within um, within sec. Yeah, because you need uh, for for decent sized electrolyzers, you need um, we're talking like uh, thirty to fifty thousand ounces. Okay. But yes, thanks. Um, I'm just going to shift gears a bit. So. Obviously, we've seen quite a, a big run in rhodium recently. Um, platinum seems like it has also popped. So what role has the, the issues at the Amplats ACP plant played in all of this? I mean, obviously, there's some, some metal lockup there and there's some, some metal tightness. So do you think that is a major driver of the price action we've seen over the past, let's call it a couple of months? And do you see it easing you know, over the next few months or quarters as some of that tightness eases? We've had a, quite a few questions on that uh, on this call and from clients as to what actually is happening out in the market. And you touched on some of that, but can you just give us a bit more color? Paul, you or Scott? Or sure. 
Yeah, I, I think I'll start. Maybe Scott can chime in. But there's no doubt that the short-term impact has certainly played itself out in, in the iridium price. So I think I, you have to make a distinction between what the Anglo impact on the iridium price was and then what the longer-term view is. Uh, because certainly Anglos, I, I'm guessing they're Anglos customers, they're coming to us because we, we're sitting on a little bit of iridium. And, uh, and it's not just one, it's probably 15 different uh, customers that use the iridium for crucibles. Some use it for coating for the, uh, in the aerospace industry. Um, so in that respect, yes, rhodium too, same thing. I mean, Anglo is a fairly large supplier of rhodium to the world, and rhodium and iridium just take a longer time to, to refine. So with the China demand, with the U.S. demand, which in, in my career, I've never seen uh, the amount of palladium and rhodium uh, demand we've seen in January, February. And Scott, you can take it from here, what you're seeing in March and April, because we do have a little look into the future. And we thought last year at this time, of course, the same demand would come and then the COVID bugger hit. So we were all proven wrong and our lives changed a bit for, for a while. But Scotty, you want us to talk yeah, what you're seeing from the demand side? No, I think from the demand side, it continues to be strong. And we can really look at the sponge ingot differential. So in the past, call it six months a year, platinum was five to seven dollar discount uh, sponge to ingot, you're looking at pretty much a one to two dollar discount. So that means that the applications, the industrial applications, the heavy duty diesel is kicking in and that sponge is that sponge demand is, is getting uh, stronger. And now in palladium, always kind of a, a premium, two to three dollar premium. Now you're seeing maybe three to five dollar premium and in some cases paying up you know when it's needed but we just keep getting calls for sponge 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 and uh doesn't seem to be doesn't seem to be going away and looking at the red numbers on the on the charts um doesn't seem to be doesn't seem to be letting up from the industrial side so would perhaps last comment on that from from my side would i see this now um, if anglo is back uh, the price is collapsing no i think um we can be lucky that Europe hasn't. Uh, uh, that Europe is really down. Uh, um, if Europe would now be there, um, I think it would be an absolute supply uh, supply crisis. Yeah, if you wouldn't have a lockdown now in Europe, if you wouldn't have seen uh, car sales dropping in Europe massively, and Europe would be there, um, then uh, I think. Uh, and, and and Scott is under describing it a bit. We really have a supply crisis in sponge. Yeah, there are ingots being grained uh, to ensure AutoCAD production. So it's a real shortage. Yeah, and um, do you see it in the prices? Yes, you see it in the rhodium price. Uh, palladium is, of course, also a financial market. Uh, platinum is, uh, is a financial market. But you see those uh, um, um, those premiums on, on, on the industrial use, so on the, on the sponge, uh, um, really getting, getting paid uh, much, much higher than ever before. Or since I'm in the job. So therefore, I think you will see if Europe now would kick in fully, then we would have a disaster. So what I would ex expect that Europe kicks in, Anglo kicks in, and we stay at the current levels. Yeah, the only thing that's given Scott relief over the last two months has been this chip shortage. I mean, <laughs> who would think that we'd want a little less cars sold in demand because it, it, it eases the strain on supply. Oh, that's very temporary and it, it, it's very uh, muted. It's not, it, it's a short-term thing. 
for maybe 2 million cars, Brett, or so, 3 million cars. But we'll see how that plays out. Okay, gents, one last question. Um, so we talked a lot about higher loadings, um, you know, for obvious reasons or various reasons. But one of the questions, which is an interesting one, historically, when we saw new legislation come, come across, there was a big increase in loading. And then over time, we see thrifting and loadings come down. So do you think we've we've had the, the biggest kicker in loadings? And do you see loadings actually coming down in a couple of years as companies adjust to the new normal and the new legislation? So, so that old trend that we always see, see that playing out again. Um, I guess briefly, that's probably a long-winded answer, but if you can just no, uh, give us a No, it's, it's pretty quick. You see tightening regulation, especially also in the emerging markets. You see Euro 7 uh, coming in. You see uh, um, Bharat in India kicking in. You see climate change being the number one agenda point of politicians. You see the, um, the change in, in the US with Biden, uh, which is a different approach. So you will see tightening regulation potentially um, um, also in the US. So um, I think the super cycle is there. Uh, and I strongly believe uh, that we are in the first inning, at the, at the end of the first inning, uh, but we're just in the first inning. And I would, uh, um, I would truly uh, say that we will have a very interesting time ahead of us. And we will not see that shifting away because you will have more and more tightening re regulation, higher loadings, and you can always minimize it a bit and optimize. Uh, no, no question. We know that um, in the catalyst, but uh, but the tightening re regulation will drive the demand in PGMs. Matthias, thank you very much. So, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here. PGM super cycle, first innings of the PGM super cycle. We we in it and, and we're here. So luckily there's no press on this call. Otherwise, that would have been the headline that we would have gone with. I might use that in my next report. Uh, Matthias and team, thank you very much. Paul and Leon, uh, to you as well. Um, this was very wonderful insights into the PGM market. Uh, ladies and gentlemen from all across the world in South Africa, thank you for participating in this discussion.